try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people all across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. All right, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Jig Is Up. With me as always is Jason, the professor. Welcome. Hey, how's my brother from another mother? Not too bad. A little wet here on Halloween tonight. Uh, it was raining a little bit in Calgary while we were out trick or treating, but uh, yeah, it dried here up too. She was she was a bit soggy. So yeah, it's always fun on Halloween. Gives it a little bit of a challenge. Well, you're not doing Halloween in Canada if it doesn't fit over your snowsuit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I wanted to jump into a few topics. We got a big hot topic these days seems to be repatriation of of Métis items. And uh, I know we had, I don't know, there's a deal or something signed for the RCMP to return some artifacts from their museum, their own museum in Regina. And I think uh, now... There's a, there was a lady selling something on, in the UK that was found on a grave in Batoche, and that kind of got uh, a lot of people's feathers ruffled. How did you uh, how did you take that one? Well, yeah, because I was directly involved in the whole uh, grave artifacts being sold on eBay. Uh, the whole thing is is absolutely ludicrous that a grave goods are still for sale uh, on the internet with no restrictions at all. You think some of these web uh, site providers might uh, be a little more cautious about doing that. And I know the seller was, you know, was saying it was Métis and that was for us, it was neither here nor there. It was not provable. Um, and then uh, the CBC came in and did a great disservice to indigenous people by uh, putting it on the media and it immediately almost tripled the price. Oh, really? Wow. So, it, it clearly put it out of the the ability of uh, you know us and, and other people to acquire that item and at least verify its, its authenticity and make sure that it found its proper way home yeah because the reality is I mean even if it was not metis if it was if it was from a grave in Batosh, it really should go back there metis or First yeah, Nation, it, I mean yeah we should have had that at least that opportunity right to to verify whether there was metis or one of our first Nations relations and then make sure it got back into the proper hands so that it could find its final resting place. But, you know, and then uh, I think that's why we started that um, fund page, because this isn't the first time and probably won't be the last time that this is going to come up. And I know with a lot of the repatriation of these items is that we Métis people don't really have a good place for these items to be stored and uh, for these items, you know, to honestly, where do we put them? Yeah. So... Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, there's a few museums across Canada, I think, that have a lot of Indigenous stuff in them. But that's not to say that that's actually a good place for them. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is is, it, is the Glenbow in Calgary a good place for something from Batoche? I, I would say not. But, um, you know, where where else do you keep them? Where do you, I mean, is there a better place for them? 
Well, and I think that's something that we need to, as Métis people, have an honest conversation about, is if we want these items to be in our care, uh, we need to create a facility for that. We need to have that space available so things like uh, Riel's walking stick don't go to a museum because they don't feel that we will properly care for it or look after it. Yeah. Well, that's just it. Yeah, I guess the Royal Winnipeg uh, Rifles had his walking stick, and it looked to me like they had probably several items from... The, the the battles they fought against Métis people that they took, I guess, spoils of victory. Um, and now I guess that's in a museum in Winnipeg, just some, any old museum or? Yeah, I'm not sure of all the particulars specific to that item, but I do know that that's not unique either. This is a, you know, you can go to several museums right across Canada and find lots of uh, Métis items that are just warehouse and showcase there to put our culture on display for Joe public. Uh, but really those items, uh, you know, have some very, a lot of significance for us and uh, to specific individuals. Yeah. And I think they should be cared for by Métis people and displayed on our own terms. But that said, we really need to have a facility where we can care for them. Then. Well, and you'd think that uh, like places like Batosh and that would have, uh, you know, there's a building there and, and you can kind of go inside and tour around a little bit and learn the history of Batosh while you're there. You'd think a building like that would have the ability to house some of the artifacts from from Batosh. And I'm sure there's a museum, you know, in Winnipeg that has a lot of Red River um, items already. So maybe maybe there's places like that. I don't know. But I don't know if they're capable of holding these kinds of items. Well, you know, you and I have been to Batosh, and you'd think that that facility would be able to house some of those items. And if it can't, I don't think it should be that big of a stretch to uh, either open it up to fund, uh, or get Métis people to fund it or apply for funding or something like that to um, make adjustments in the facility to care for those items that are ours. Yeah, absolutely. We we should be the ones in charge of those things, and we should be the ones looking after them. But to properly do that, we need to have a place to put them. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And, you know, like you, you kind of mentioned the, the fund that we started on our website, and we did start that repatriation fund to buy, you know, in essence, I guess, to if we had to, to buy back some of the items or to cover, you know, if there's any legal costs that, that could possibly be covered by working out arrangements to get stuff returned, I don't know. Um, but I do know that in, in Canada, I think Alberta is probably the only province that has an actual law uh, to repatriate items back to the people that they're supposed to go to. Um, and I don't think anywhere else in Canada has that. Maybe that's something that, uh, you know, as Métis people, we should be turning to our MLAs and getting them on a province-to-province basis to, to work towards something like that. I think absolutely. Um, we need to see these items uh, taken out of Joe Public Museum, as nice as that is. They have uh, personal and, and religious, sometimes significance for our people, and I think that has to be taken into account and made a priority. Um, but like I said, that's why we started that fund is because a lot of these items end up showing up on eBay in an uncontrolled environment or re- even completely out of the Canadian jurisdiction. And so we don't really have a choice but to try to acquire them through financial means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, because we had seen on the Facebook, some people had said, well, you know, we should force her to get the poet, you know, to get the item removed from the eBay auction. But if we really did that, uh, realistically, where would that item end up back in somebody's drawer, you know, because they yeah. can't sell it. 
Or so. it, it'll just end up on some local, you know, a more a less known site. Um, it, it, it would end up getting sold no matter what you did, I, I believe. I mean, eBay is not the only site out there that you can sell stuff online. So it, it just happens to be one of the biggest. But I, I do believe it would have eventually gotten sold somewhere. So we, we need to really just take control of that and and bring those items back, like you said, and, and be in control of that, though. Yeah, so hopefully there's enough people listening who uh, feel that that is a concern and it should be a priority and will uh, join with us in trying to make a financial fund available so that uh, when people come across these things, A, they know where to turn, which is uh, us, and they know where to contribute, which you know we're, we're willing to facilitate that in making sure these items find their proper way home. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for those listening, if you can contribute, certainly go to our website, uh, metisstrong.com and you'll find it there if you can't contribute at least you can go there and share that page and hopefully other people can contribute so that's that's that um i mean i, I don't know what else to say about repatriation to me it's a no-brainer we we should have our stuff back that's <laughs> the bottom line all of it was that's stolen right. anyway that's right and if people are out there keep your eyes open if you see things on uh the old eBay or Kijiji or something that uh, is inappropriate, you know, contact us. We'd like to be able to do something about that when that happens. That's right. And you can contact us at MeitiPodcast at gmail.com or info at MeitiStrong.com. And uh, either way, we'll uh, we'll get your email and you can let us know what's out there and what you've seen. If, if there's an obscure museum somewhere that nobody hardly has ever heard of and you go in there and find stuff, you know, fire, an, fire us an email so we can look into it. Take pictures, let us know. We're happy to help out. Absolutely. Um, so moving from that, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit. This just came up probably, I think it might have even been today. Uh, the Métis Nation of Ontario, a good uh, member of the cartel there, is uh, going to enter into a review process of every single membership they have uh, for to determine whether or not all of their members are true rights holders or not. And I guess the implication there is if you're not, uh, if you don't meet their criteria now, then you're tossed out. You're no longer Métis. I, I, I guess that's the implication there. Uh, I mean, I don't see the, any other option. There, if, you're, if you have rights and your paperwork's all good, then you get a new card. If you don't have your paperwork all good or they determine that you're not, you don't meet the Pauli criteria, I guess, um... Uh, I guess you're no longer Métis, <laughs> I guess, according to them. Uh, I don't know. Did, did you get a chance to read much about that, Jason? Yeah, it isn't uh, really. If you're from Alberta, this isn't anything new. The uh, M&A here has revised their uh, definition of being the you know, my Métis identity uh, several times, actually, in the last 10 years. And so we're just seeing this now coming in Ontario. What's really funny about the Ontario scenario is they just acknowledged two two historic communities that are right up by the Quebec border, and they just had a huge uh, fight internally, uh, which we've seen some of the ministers from the Manitoba Métis Federation um, basically tell the uh, administration of the MNO that they were wrong in doing so and that there is no such thing as Métis people anywhere near there. And then we see in short order they're having a membership review. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's some pretty hanky internal politics going on there. Well, there is. And, I, you know, I have to question the motives behind these 
membership reviews. I mean, the bottom line is, is these guys have gotten, what is it, five or seven million dollars over the last few years to solidify a membership database, solidify their member lists, and, and you know, essentially they're saying, eh, we're not sure if we did all our paperwork right, so we got to go now through and review everything and, and spend a whole lot, load of time and, and probably a load, a pile of money to, to do what? Like, what is the, the purpose of this other than to weed people out? Um, and I don't get that either. You're doing a, a solid job to begin with to enroll people as members in your organization, or you're not. A, and I mean, if somebody paid us a million dollars to do a membership role, I think I could do a really thorough job right from the beginning. Um, but maybe this, maybe that's not so. Maybe they, maybe they... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where the money went for this, but it just seems silly to me at this point that suddenly now they're doing a review. I mean, well, I think we've seen this right across Canada when it comes to the um, the Maintain National Council and its affiliates, is that they've taken an extremely reductive uh, policy in regards to Métis identity, so much so that uh, the their definition of Métis actually exceeds the criteria. Uh, in restrictiveness uh, under Pauli uh, for Métis identity. So uh, they're taking a very limited scope, and it seems like the uh, whole organization really only wishes to represent people who have already uh, passed the Pauli test. So if you're a community organization that is in the midst of that process, you may very well find yourself on the outs with this current administration. Yeah. Which kind of speaks volumes to the amount that they're going to fight for the Métis people, fight for their communities, and fight for their rights, when essentially they've just decided, okay, we're going to cherry-pick the ones that are easy easy wins, and we're going to go call them Métis, and then everybody else is not. It, that's how I read it. I, I could be wrong, but it, it just seems that way to me. Um, like those communities that might be eh, borderline, powly certifiable, are they going to get anybody fighting for them or are they just going to get cut? I think the obvious answer is they're going to get cut. Yeah, that's very much the way it's looking, isn't it? Is that uh, if you aren't Pali and you can't immediately pass the Pali test, then you're not a rights holder. And if you're not a rights holder, then you're really not meeting. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like, I find it very interesting that they're so eager to jump onto the Pali, uh, using it to identify Métis and, like this, the colonial government and the Supreme Court of Canada came up with Powley, and now these organizations are choosing that as their tool to determine who their members are. Um, I guess in one aspect, it makes it really easy as an organization to suck up to the government because you've used their criteria to determine who your people are. But as far as a culture and a people go, that doesn't really play out well. I don't think, in, in my opinion. Um, I think it's insulting and degrading, personally. Well, I think it was, uh, I'm not sure if it was you or somebody else posted uh, one of the definitions of Pali online earlier. And I think that's the problem, is people um, aren't even properly looking at Pali anymore. Uh, they only are using the hearsay or what they believe it says. Yeah, Pali like... has some very interesting things to say about Métis identity. Absolutely, and you know that's the thing that I found is they they, they so they came up with like the Pauli criteria, which everybody seems to know, think they know about. But the truth is, is that's 
that's only a portion of of the whole Pauli decision, and and there was a lot more to it. Um, and it it is kind of sad how people have just fallen into this uh, notion that the old Pauli here's the ten criteria Pauli lays out, and that's it. Um, and and that's just not the reality of it. And you know, honestly, like anything, you can just go online and and look it up. It's really not that complicated. Um, every Supreme Court decision is there. You can look up Daniels. You can look up any of that stuff. Yeah, and I think that's the real challenge is that uh, there's a big difference between in the definition of Pali being coming from a historical community and and that entitling you to uh, state rights or, or you know, constitutional rights. That I don't know where that transcends into talking then about... Um, whether you're validly Métis or not, you know what I mean? And I think this is the, the, the real error that people have taken from the whole Pali case. Yes. Is that passing Pali doesn't make you somehow more Métis, and not passing Pali doesn't make you less Métis. Well, and the truth is, is if you read Pali decision, it's very clear that the Supreme Court set this up so that judges in the future, would have some sort of better understanding of terminology and uh, and criteria to use to, to judge whether or not somebody has hunting rights. I mean, one of the biggest things about Pali, right from the get-go, is you have to state what, very specifically, what right this is that you are going to base this criteria on, like that you're going to, you, you, what right you're going after that you're going to use the Pali criteria for. So that means a, a hunting right, a harvesting right, uh, you know, maybe even a land right or something along that lines. But in no way, shape, or form does it ever indicate that this is a way to identify people of a culture. It's just a way to identify that this person does have a right to do that traditional thing. Um, there's, a, there's a previous case that it mentions, and I can't remember it, but it, was, it basically laid out the same criteria only for First Nations. The problem is, though, is that in that particular decision, the criteria for First Nation was pre-contact. Well, obviously, we can't have that as Métis people. So, And that is what they said in the Pali decision specifically, was they were basically taking that previous decision and modifying it to, to apply it to Métis people. So our Indigenous rights can be represented in the court system. But has nothing to do with going out and, you know, joining an organization and being Métis and taking part in cultural events. So, I like, I don't know how, I mean, it's just a cherry pick. I think it's it's really an easy win for the government, is really what it boils down to. Well, I think it's a really easy win for the government when the, uh, the Métis National Council and affiliates are using it in a reductive means past what even uh, places like Alberta, which is highly punitive, uh, uh, interpretation of Pali, you know, serves it up on a platter where these organizations are constantly reducing the amount of people they represent yes. who they define as rights holders. Yeah. So I think that's highly problematic. And it, it should be a very alarming to a lot of Métis people that this is being done and this is, you know, it's incorrect. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I did post on Facebook that I, th I thought was interesting that I hadn't even read in there before was um, they, they specifically mentioned in, in the Pali decision that 
having a membership in a Métis political organization may be relevant, but it, it doesn't necessarily uh, demonstrate community acceptance. And they actually um, kind of lay out what community acceptance is, and they, they said the core of community acceptance is past and ongoing participation in the shared culture, in the customs and traditions that constitute a Métis con con community's identity. So, I mean, if we're really going to apply Pauli, I mean, how many Métis make it out to an event, you know, once or twice a month or once a month? How many Métis have done, really truly participate in Métis events that are going on in their area? So in essence, you know, you look here in Alberta and they're talking about coming up with a harvester's program. Well, you can end up with people getting harvester's cards that still don't meet Pauli, Pauli because they actually don't participate at all in their culture. Yeah, and that's the, the thing is because you geographically live in a location that allows you to pass a Pauli test because it's a historical community doesn't grant you or make you somehow involved or you know, a real participant in what goes on in that community. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there was, I don't know, I found some very interesting things in there that I think people... People really should know, and, and they should go to the court case and actually give it a read through it. I mean, it doesn't take that long. Skip through the legalese and just kind of go to the parts that are important. But, uh, you know, it was very interesting. And, you know, they they say they even say in there that, uh, you, you know, you can't really... Oh, I'll just read it, for, read it here. It says, uh, particularly given the vast territory of what is now Canada... We should not be surprised to find that different groups of Métis exhibit their own distinctive traits and traditions. This diversity among groups of Métis may enable us to speak of Métis peoples, a possibility left open by the language of Section 35. So right there they said, you know, like there's no defining Métis by a geographic location. So... Yeah, and I think that was reiterated in the Daniels case, we've seen that the government... Yes. Uh, has been fairly open and fairly inclusive to the idea that they're Métis peoples. It's not singular. And I find that's what, you know, you and I have talked about at length that we find funny with the conversation and the language that the uh, MNC and affiliates take is that that whole term, the very term Métis, is singular by its very definition. Yes. Yeah, and absolutely. So it's and very that... counter, right? Well, exactly. And I mean... I mean, you know, especially with the census data coming out, I mean, it was just a flurry of anger and hatred and, and arguments going on on uh, Facebook these days. And and essentially that's what it boils down to is people want to do this big M, little M thing. And, uh, you know, let, let's just face it, that's semantics. It's really ridiculous. If your whole argument rests on a big M, little M, I think you've failed right there. Um but yeah, we're back to this battling it out over identity again, and it's it's utterly well, ridiculous. I think that's the real problem, though, is when people look at uh, what StatsCan came out with, is they fail to break it down in the proper context of what it is. Uh, people got really alarmed by the increases in Ontario and Eastern Canada with the, the numbers and the increased rate at numbers, which were, were, were all, all large. But I think if they sat down and took some time to put them in their proper context, um, right across Canada, except for three jurisdictions, First Nation people outnumber Métis people two to one. Yeah. And those three jurisdictions are Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Alberta. <laughs> oh, yeah. But no one talks about that. No one talks about the fact that Alberta 
has more Métis people comparatively than just about every other jurisdiction in Canada, including Ontario and Quebec. Yes. You know, so, and I think just to break down a few more numbers for you, if you look at how the stats broke down, basically 38% of all Métis people are under the age of 24. So wow. when we're talking about people who self-indigenize and people coming out of the word work and falsely claiming Métis identity, well, well, what are they, you know, 14 years old? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like... Like from the 14 and under category, out of the 500 and what, 87,000 Métis people that there were in the last ad, 130,000 under the age of 14. 24. Full 38, yeah. Yeah. So under the age of 14, we have 130,000 people. And, you know, so under the age of 24, a total of 38% of all Métis people. And then we have another 25% of all Métis people, 55 and older. Wow. So those two categories alone constitute 63% of all Métis people. Yeah. Who is this mass number who are self-indigenizing? Yeah, exactly. Se- what is it? Senior citizens? <laughs> <laughs> is it kids who didn't even get to answer on the census? Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then we look, you know, we, people are flabbergasted at the increase in Ontario, but even now in Ontario, first nations people outnumber Métis people two to one. Yes. And that is the statistical norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I don't know. I think I think people have blown the whole census thing right out of the uh, context, and have really shown that this is about uh, the big M, little M. If you're Red River or not Red River, and what does it mean to be authentically Métis? Yeah. Well, that's how people are using it. And but the thing is, too. I mean, even this long form census, it's great, and it gets you great information. But the truth is, is it did not go out to 100% of the homes in Canada. It didn't go out to 100% of the homes in 2006. And it didn't go out in 2016 or whatever that was, 15, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it. so even there, you're really not getting, I mean, you're getting a segment of the population. So did it, did more Indigenous people get the survey this time than they did last time? We don't know. It's it's a random thing. So who knows what the... I mean, there's a lot of factors that play in there. And I think if you just look at the numbers, uh, you can be an alarmist and, and start freaking out about it. Or you can apply some logic to it and realize that there are a lot of reasons why the data may be skewed or why it may actually realistically be going up. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just seems... Well, and, and that's, but that's my point is, is that if you look right now, uh, I think the overall First Nations population was up, what, 41%, 42%? Yeah. And where's the huge outcry from them? Yeah. Where are they freaking out all over the place for all these fake First Nations people claiming, you know, falsely claiming, what, non-status Indian? Yeah. You know? Yeah, where, exactly. where's all the Anish, Where's all the Anishinaabe chiefs freaking out and the Cree chiefs freaking out for all these people who, who uh, are claiming First Nations identity and their population's up? 42%. Yeah. Actually, they're, I, I, the ones I talked to are quite proud of that. Hey, we're, we're you know, we're, we're fa- one of the fastest growing in the country. Awesome. You know? I mean, the joke is that they're just going to repopulate the country to take it back. Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand totally the insecurity. Different, 
it's a totally different conversation. It is, yeah. And Métis, it... Métis, yeah, Métis people have a 10% variance over First Nations people, and we're losing our gourd over who's authentically Métis. Yeah, which just boils down to the same old tired arguments. Which, uh, to be honest, I'm I'm starting, with a few exceptions, I'm really starting to lose interest in a lot of this uh, identity battles. It, it, it's just pointless. It, it's a fruitless battle. What are we battling each other for as to who is and who's not when none of us are getting much of anything? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I know, we've talked about that before, and it, it really just makes me laugh is that we're so concerned about Métis politics and Métis identity and who is authentically Métis and who is not. And we're so worried that somebody's absconding our identity because, by God, we just get so many things for it. Well, exactly. You know? I, like, I mean, I don't know what the last... What, what was the last thing you got, Darcy, when you showed your Métis card? I don't even know if I've taken it out of my wallet to show anybody other than my family. That's how often I've used it. <laughs> Because no one even knows what it is. No, I mean, you showed it to, if I were to show that to somebody like, you know, airport security, they'd look at it like, well, I don't understand what the hell that is. What, okay, give me the real ID. Like, yeah. I I don't know. I I just, I, and, and, you know, the end of this all, I'd really like to ask a lot of people, especially certain academics, uh, what is the point? So, what is the point of all this? Who's authentic and who's the big M and who's the little M? What is the point of it all in the end? Like, what does it, what do Métis people gain from having this exclusive club? Do you gain more rights? No. Do you gain a whole lot more money? You, no, there's only like one group of organizations getting all the money now. So you're not gaining anything. You don't gain, like, there's nothing to be gained from this other than well, the academics who are getting paid to perpetuate this crap. They're making out like bandits, but yeah, as far that, as Métis that's people, the real truth. Like, I think there's two real lies that are being foisted on people, and they're not really asking it. And one is they've been lied to, and they think that there's a fixed pie. Like, there's a set amount in the bank account for Métis people, and the more Métis people there are, somehow the less we're all going to get. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's a lie. I don't see. I've never seen that. It's never happened. And I think anybody who believes that is really uh, misguided. Yes. Second, the only people right now who are actually physically benefiting from this whole identity p- politics is two groups. One is the MNC and its affiliates because they're getting paid by the government to reduce their numbers. Yes. And C and, and B is the academics. They're the only ones getting paid. Yeah. You you and I don't get paid. I didn't make five bucks this week from being Métis. <laughs> no. Know. No, exactly, and I didn't get paid to, you know, we we don't get paid to do the podcast. We don't get paid to preach to other people about who is and who's not Métis. We, the only people that are are the academics and the, the cartel. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, the person holding a, a Métis Nation card, what benefit do you get from academics and whoever else talking about Eastern ethnogenesis? Who the hell cares? Nobody benefits from that. It's a it's an absolutely useless subject, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I just don't know what it, what part it plays in anything other than it's a great sideline issue to keep people totally distracted from the real points of politics and and issues that are really facing Métis people. When we got Métis people in poverty, living in shanties, who got no homes, we got no water, we got yeah. no you know. 
we got youth who don't even know anything about their culture. They can't speak their own language, you know, and here we are talking about boohoo. There's too many Métis people who are popping out of the woodwork in Ontario. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because that's the big, the big issue facing Métis people, right? Yeah. There's just too damn many of us. Exactly. Yeah. What? Well, and the truth is, you know, honestly, with all this government funding, it's great. The liberals will spend like crazy right now. And as soon as it switches back to the blue, the blue guys will cut like crazy. And then when it switches back to the red, they'll spend like crazy. And it just keeps, or vice versa, whatever, it just keeps going back and forth. So the, the reality is, is this idea, this myth of the whole, wow, we'll get money from the government. Well, you may, and then you'll lose it, and then you might get it again, and you might lose it. And So if that's the game you want to play, if that's the point of this ethnogenesis garbage, it's certainly not even helping you getting funding. I mean... I've never seen a grant anywhere yet that I've tried to fill out that says, oh, can you explain the uh, Eastern ethnogenesis of Métis people? And if, you know, like... Huh. Or just... even are you are you pro-Eastern Métis or yes. are you anti-Eastern Métis? Because exactly. that will affect your application form. You know, it's it's ridiculous. And so the only people who have any, who have any skin in this game to financially benefit is the people whose paychecks are on the line. Yes, exactly. For, for the rest of us, really, why are we to burning up so much time on the internet, wasting about time about who's what and what's who and where you're from, when we got such big issues that we should be tackling? Well, exactly. And you know what? When I looked at the that Pauline and talked about people who participate in their culture, you know what? Rather than spend all this time arguing on who is and who's not and who cares, you know what? T- take that time and go. And volunteer with a local Métis organization, volunteer to, to do a Métis event or host a Métis event, or just donate to a Métis cause. You know, there's there's uh, fiddling and jigging um, groups all across the country that could use the funding for uniforms and, and travel costs. So spend your time doing that stuff and actually helping with the culture instead of just fighting on the internet about who's who. Well, I think that should, I think really that should be the criteria of who's maintaining. Yeah. If you're not involved in your community and you're not involved on the ground in where you're at trying to make the Métis way of life better for our young people, then you're probably not Métis. Exactly. And that was part of the Pauli decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, let's talk, let's talk about that part of Pauli. Yeah, exactly, right? Let's let's talk about the whole thing. It's kind of like the Daniels decision. Let's make sure we talk about the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm i pretty sure it was in the Daniel or in the Pauli decision, too, that they even actually acknowledged uh, Métis and Labrador. Well, so if you're going to use Pauli, and they talk about Mé- the Labrador Métis, I don't know if anybody knows this, but Labrador is not in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, or BC. So it's kind of outside their their ballpark. So how do they explain that if they're going to use Pauli? It makes no well, sense. Well, that's yeah, I know it, but hey, they'll blame the government for somehow for that that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. The government's fault. That's right. That's when the, right. When the government rules your way, it's all good, and when they rule against you, well, they're just misguided. Yeah, ten years after the ruling, they'll be all upset and yeah, you know. But, and in the meantime, we still have people with plastic in their wallets who call themselves Métis who you never see in your community. <laughs> exactly. So moving from our, our typical conversation here uh, and back to the, I guess, going back to the MMO restricting, 
It's like you said, we've, we've seen that in Alberta. I think you're going to see that in all of the Métis Nation organizations. And, uh, you know, Carolyn Bennett to this day still argues that, well, you have to pass Powley. And, um, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're cowering to the, the government and whatever the government wants them to do. And to say these organizations fight for anybody is an absolute farce. They didn't fight for the TRC. They didn't fight for the 60 Scoop. They're certainly not fighting for your rights now. They're, they're going with the path of least resistance to get funding. And, um, you know, you're going to see it in all the nation, all the MN, all the MNC affiliate cartel organizations do the exact same thing if they haven't already. Inevitability. It's all about staying. If you got a paycheck, it's about keeping your paycheck. If you wrote a book, it's about writing the next book or getting that tenure at the university. This is really what it's all about. Absolutely. Metis politics, Metis identity to make sure your paycheck and your ministry or your next book's deal is all solid for you. Meanwhile, what really changes for the poor Metis people in our communities. Exactly. And Okay, I guess one last thing I want to say about this whole academics thing. There's a specific academic out there who's not even Metis who's putting on reports and publishing papers and cruising the country, going on talk shows and media, talking about who is and who's not Métis. And I just have to ask, why are Métis people allowing that to happen? That is colonization at its epitome. When a non-Métis is going around the country profiting off of telling us who we are and who is not Métis, it is utterly ridiculous. I don't know anybody in this country that could go around the country telling people who's really Cree and who's not and who's not Cree at all themselves. That would go not very far. Uh, I would like to invite that same academic to come to Calgary and read a whole bunch of books about being Blackfoot and come to Calgary and then tell the Blackfoot people here who's Blackfoot and who's not Blackfoot and just see how, how good that would go over. And yet... Métis people allow this stuff to go on. This guy is not even Métis. It's ridiculous. But his well, friends it's, it's are, person, so he knows some Métis. Well, and it's a person who's profiting off of us being a divided people right now. Yeah. It, it, it's total colonialism at its best, where you can see that Indigenous, there's an opportunity to take advantage of an Indigenous situation, and boom, you got some money in your pocket, you got some notoriety, you know, and it's great. You know, yeah, you're somebody, and you do it off the backs of Métis people who are clearly tripping over each other, trying to figure out our identity problems. Exactly. Yeah. No, he's totally capitalized on, and and uh, you know, he's using the the capitalist uh, colonial system very well to his advantage. Meanwhile, the rest of us sit around, and for some reason, people are listening to this guy, and I don't get it. You know, Joseph Boyden gets called out. I don't know why this guy doesn't get called out on his BS, but. But those do that do then get criticized and berated and belittled. So, hey, I, I don't get that at all. However, <laughs> we should we should probably move on. I'm I don't like I don't like that guy and I don't like what he stands for and what he represents. But so I did want to talk quickly. Uh, we're we're running close to time, but I wanted to talk quickly about some of the things we got going on on our website. And one of the things we did was we did a survey. Uh, it was like a six-question survey. It took you about three minutes to fill out, and a whole whack load of people filled it out. And you can still fill it out if you want. Uh, until November 5th, I think we're going to take it down and then kind of go through some of the results and uh, final results. 
But I wanted to kind of talk quickly about some of the results we saw. Uh, the first question was, what do you think this most important area for Métis organization to focus their efforts on? Culture, rights, programs and services, or self-governance? Uh, what would you have picked would be the, what, what do you think would be the top topic there, Jason? Well, I don't know. Was it rights? It was rights, yes. Woo! Barely, though. It barely beat out culture. It was only literally three votes ahead of culture. Really? So culture is right behind rights on that. Huh. Yes, and programs and services and self-governance are way down. Even though at one point I think programs and services was leading by far, and then it just seemed to die out and nobody continued voting. Hmm. Um, with respect to culture, what do you see as the most important issue? Loss of language, lack of events, lack of youth engagement, and urban lifestyles. What would you have picked, Jace? Ah, uh, well, I probably voted youth. Yes, lack of youth engagement was the clear winner so far. Um, lack of events, loss of language were pretty close. They were two votes apart. Um, so not, not a big surprise there, I don't think. However, the next... Uh, well, one, one question down, we'll get back to this uh, youth engagement, and we'll, it'll be weird. <laughs> In regards to Métis rights, what do you consider to be the top priority? Harvesting rights, land, access to programs and services and representation to the Canadian government. What do you think won the, Jason? It's like a hot quiz for uh, you. It is. I was. I think I put my money on uh, programs and services. That is the clear winner. Uh, Woohoo! Right again! Surprisingly, the, the second place was representation to the Canadian government. Which really? really? Now, that is surprising, actually. Yeah, like I would have picked land as being first or second. Um, or even harvesting rights. But no, it was uh, access to programs and then representation to the Canadian government. Yeah, that is interesting, given the fact that we have the MNC as such a, a monolithic structure. And it, you know, talks about its huge membership. Yeah. That there's so many people who feel that they don't have adequate representation. That's interesting to me. It is. Now, this goes back to the youth one. So we're going to, this one's weird to me. But what programs and services would be most valuable to you? Youth programs, programs for families, health and wellness, or housing. And I know the winner, but Jason, what do you think it was? Well, uh, clearly not the youth from the lead-in you gave. <laughs> no, youth youth programs did not win this one. Actually, health and wellness took this quite easily, and then programs for families, and then housing. And at a very low nine percent was youth programs which kind of is weird considering lack of youth engagement was one of the most important issues facing our culture but then youth programs are the least seem people voted those to be the least valuable which really? means yeah i don't i don't understand how you do that but uh okay uh, when we look at self-governance, what do you think an organization should focus on? Developing a solid governance structure, moving away from non-profit structures, developing economic opportunities, or more Canadian government funding. Which one do you think won? Um, I, I put my money on uh, economics. Ah, you fail. Oh. Uh, developing a solid governance structure actually was the winner 
by 6%. Really? Um, yeah, developing economic opportunities was leading and then it kind of got overtaken and uh, now it's in second spot. So, which huh. is, yeah, which, that one really surprised me. I, I'll be honest because I think a lot of, I didn't, I didn't think a lot of people really put much stock into governance structures for any organization, considering what we have out there right now. Um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised. Pleasantly surprised. Well, yeah, actually, it's kind of well. It's actually kind of uh, given a head scratcher because uh, with so many people who I hear so many people want to get involved, especially in Alberta in the M and A structure, for instance, who want to change and yeah. they want to change leadership. You don't hear very much talk about changing the structure, though. No, and not getting, at all. And getting a and getting a more effective or a different structure. You hear lots about changing people. Yes. So the fact that they want that people are saying they want a different structure uh, is kind of interesting. It is, yeah. And I would have honestly, when I wrote the, when I was making these questions up, I really thought economic opportunities was going to take it hands down, no problem. So you know, it's good. I mean, obviously, if an organization was to develop a good governance structure and develop economic opportunities, people theoretically would be happy. Yeah. Um, and then the last question was it was kind of a softball question, but it was how satisfied are you with your current organization overall? You know, very happy, somewhat happy, somewhat unhappy, and completely unhappy. And the winner there was somewhat happy. But uh, it's really close to somewhat unhappy. They're kind of almost neck and neck. <laughs> so we're kind of all in the middle there, <laughs> which is funny because... Fifteen percent said very happy, and sixteen percent said completely unhappy. So almost identical <laughs> on those ends. But so we're all in so the middle. So everybody's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one's super ecstatic, eh? <laughs> not too many people. No. Clearly, they're not part of our organization. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, if they were, they would be <laughs> completely satisfied, one hundred percent. How could you not be satisfied with the bearded brothers at the helm? Exactly. We got a great podcast, you know, we got a great camp. What else do you need? That's right. But uh, if you want to take the survey, just for everybody listening, if you want to get your input on there, you got till the November 5th, go to MetisStrong.com. You'll get those same questions. You can answer them however you want. And we'll probably be doing a few more of these surveys throughout the next, the upcoming year. Uh, just nice, easy, you know, five, six questions, multiple choice, easy thing to do. Uh, so just watch for those. But I thought those results were kind of interesting. And we'll probably publish the results here, you know, after we close it out and finalize everything. And So you'll be able to check that out on the website too, which will be kind of cool. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else about the website you want to talk about, Jason, or mention? No, I, I, uh, I hope more people log in and they check up, uh, you know, as we continue to fill out our website and try to bring more things online and make it more interactive. We do really want to hear from people. If they have suggestions for us about, you know, um, different surveys or different survey questions, we'd really like to hear from them on that. Yeah, absolutely. And you can go to the websites and leave some feedback. Um, you can donate to the repatriation fund. Do the do the survey. We have a, a petition support a petition of support for uh, Sebastian Millet out east that you can sign on. And check out some upcoming events. But yeah, you can give us feedback on the website. You can send us an email at info at or you can send an email here to metispodcast at gmail.com. Um, that's all I got on the show today. That's it. 
What do you, you got anything else, I, No, that's it. I hope everybody's uh, kids had a fun time Halloweening and uh, got lots of candies. Absolutely. And uh, stayed safe, and if you're in our neck of the woods, stay dry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? Um, so the last thing I want to mention is on next week's show, uh, I actually returned to Conklin. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you remember, there was the whole fiasco with the Fish and Wildlife taking their fish, their smoked fish. Uh, and so I returned to Conklin because I, I told you guys all that there was more stories coming out of Conklin, and we are, I'm proud to say we're breaking that story here on the podcast next week. I went up, I sat with the people, the community members there, and we had a good conversation about what's going on up there. I mean, some of what's going on up there. I was there for, you know, probably a good four hours, five hours, and uh, easily we could have had a five-hour podcast. There's just that much stuff going on up there. Um, And we are trying to contact uh, APTN to get this out on the national news, so... This is uh, there, there's some shady stuff going on up there, and there's some bad stuff going on up there. And uh, for our Conklin brothers and sisters, that'll be on the show next week. And I hope your voice gets heard, and I hear I hope people people wake up for this one. Um, you know everything we talked about today on the show with academics and the pointlessness of arguing identity. Uh, for me, was solidified when I went to Conklin and I seen what's going on up there. Métis identity comes a set in a, a long distance second place to what's going on up there, and every Métis and every Canadian should know about what what's what's happening, how people are living up there. So, stay tuned for that. I know it's a podcast; you can't see the, what's going on, but maybe uh, we're hoping to get up there within the next month and get some video as well for the YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, if there's a show that you are going to listen to, make sure it's next week, and if there's a show that you are going to share. Make sure it's next week, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be eye-opening, or ear-opening, I guess. <laughs> Any final thoughts, Jason? No, I look forward to it, and I totally agree with you. I think once people got out to some of our communities and actually saw what was going on at the local level, these uh, issues we talk a lot about on Facebook really become secondary. And so I, I hope that, uh, you know, as I listened to what you had to say from coming back from Conklin, you know, it's a, it's a, heartbreaking and a, a big eye-opener that we got uh, a lot uh, bigger issues to be uniting over than uh, dicking around on Facebook over who's Métis. Absolutely. And, so, you know, when we talk about participating in your culture, I think this is uh, next week's show is going to be, I, I hope it wakes people up to realize we need to start participating in a lot more ways than throwing on a sash once a year and going to a weekend event. It, there's more to it than that. So... Please stay tuned for next week's show. It's going to be, it's 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 news breaking. Um, nobody else has this story. So you're getting the scoop here. As it should be. Absolutely. And that's it. I, that's all I got. Jason, that's all you got. Me too. All right, buddy. That's it. The jig is up, guys. Long live the king. Hey. My late cooking came from Kawaka to express. Real warrior woman probably popping instead. It's poor man's if you wanna talk the language. A hundred clicks north if our genius the rest. You still gotta be a chief to wear a headdress. So take your shit off before you ruin it for the rest. You better listen to your heart, there's too many heads. And watch what you say, man, it's way too many feds.